Welcome to Baptist Perspective with Jimmy Barber. Whether you're listening while driving home from work, sitting with a hot cup of coffee, or making dinner, we hope this podcast will be thought-provoking and edifying. Now, here with today's episode is Jimmy Barber. In our last study, we began looking at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We did not discuss this verse when we went through the New Testament looking at the five Greek words for baptism as they related to water baptism. Since this verse is often used along with Romans 6, 3-6, Colossians 2, 11-13, and sometimes Galatians 2, 27, to teach about spirit baptism or regeneration, we wanted to study it separately. Previously, we discussed somewhat about the difficulty of the passage. We further gave a couple of quotes showing how it is often believed that this verse is teaching spirit baptism or regeneration. We also presented some things to consider about the subject. First, how the Greek words for baptism were translated and used in the scriptures. Second, how the Greek word baptizo, none of the other Greek words for baptize were used in 1 Corinthians, is used in this letter written to the congregation at Corinth. Third, the pattern for baptism, that is, how baptism is performed. We ended our lesson by saying there is much discussion as to whether what took place at Samaria at Caesarea in Cornelius' house, or at Ephesus, and these are found in Acts 8, 10, and 19, was the same thing as on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. We also said that our study is not to answer the questions regarding those incidents or if such continues to happen today. However, assuming for argument's sake, they are one and the same. The pattern is identical. Christ as the administrator, believers as the subjects, the Holy Spirit as the element. However, this is not the pattern that is presented regarding spirit baptism with 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. Today, we want to look at the pattern that is generally presented for spirit baptism or regeneration and see if it fits the pattern of water baptism and the pattern of baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. As a follow-up from our conclusion regarding Christ as being the administrator for uh, Holy Spirit baptism, see Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.8, Luke 3.16, John 1.33, Acts 1.5, and Acts 11.16. Time does not permit us to look at each verse individually, but since they all essentially say the same thing, we will quote Matthew 3.11 where John said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me, speaking of Christ, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. 
Scripture plainly declares that it is Christ that baptizes with the Holy Ghost or Spirit. Christ is the administrator of Holy Spirit baptism. Let us see if this fits the pattern of 1 Corinthians regarding spirit baptism as considered by many. John Gill said of this baptism of the Spirit, quote, Now this is wrought by the Spirit of God and is owing to His divine power and energy, not to water baptism, which has no regenerating virtue in it, nor to carnal regeneration, or a being born of blood, or of the best of men, nor to the will of any man, nor to the will of the flesh, or the power of man's free will, but to God, to the Spirit, who is Lord and God, and the only sanctifier of the sons of men, by which spiritual baptism or by whose grace in regeneration and conversion they are brought into one body, the mystical body of Christ, the universal and invisible church, that is, openly and manifestively. For otherwise, it is the grace of God in election and in the everlasting covenant, choosing them to Christ as members in their head and constituting them such that puts them among the number. But spiritual baptism, or the sanctifying grace of the Spirit, makes them appear to belong to that body, and gives them meat for, and gives them a right unto a particular gospel church, and the privileges of it which the Spirit of God directs and brings them to." End of quote. You will notice that this, quote, baptism, end of quote, according to Gill, is one wrought by the Spirit of God. That is, it's done by the Spirit. He would be the administrator. Two, by whose grace in regeneration and conversion they are brought into the mystical body of Christ, the universal and invisible church. Three, it is a, quote, spiritual baptism, end of quote, that makes them appear or belong to that body and makes them meet for and gives them a right to a particular gospel church, end of quote. He makes it clear that prior to this spiritual baptism, the subjects were previously in the everlasting covenant elected and chosen in Christ. Here we see that it is the Holy Spirit that is the administrator, and the elect, though dead in sin, are the subjects. If they're regenerated, they have to be dead in sin prior to the regeneration. But into what are these elect baptized? What is the element he says it's the mystical and invisible church. By this are we to infer that tangible and concrete dead sinners are made spiritually alive and put into an invisible, 
intangible, mystical, and abstract object? If so, this gives a dual meaning of regeneration because the scriptures teach that regeneration or the new birth is making a dead sinner spiritual dead sinner spiritually alive. In other words, the spirit is put into the individual. His will and desires are changed. Something concretely happens to him in a spiritual way. But in spiritual baptism, the dead person is, by re regeneration, put into the invisible congregation or body of Christ. To me, this does not fit the pattern of baptism as taught in the scriptures. Not the picture of water baptism or the picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as on the day of Pentecost administered by the Lord Jesus Christ. This spirit baptism has to be read into the context of 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. Another thought to consider is, if this is regeneration when the Holy Spirit comes into a person and makes him spiritually alive to God, is the Holy Spirit somehow performing a spirit baptism whereby he, that is the Spirit, is baptizing a dead sinner into himself, that is, into the Holy Spirit? As you can see, many questions are opened with this view. And as Gil rightly says, they are put into Christ before the world in election. And for dispensationalists, they are put into this invisible church when they exercise their free will and believe. Obviously, the context of this passage has to do with the body of Christ, the congregation of the Lord. The Greek word for body is used 19 times in 1 Corinthians, and 18 of the 19 times is found in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 17. What the Lord is teaching the congregation at Corinth in this passage is not what the church or the congregation is. Neither is he teaching us what baptism is. Because of the friction and division in this congregation over the use of gifts, chapters 12 through 14 is given to correct the improper use of those gifts and to promote unity within the congregation. In our passage, that is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, the Lord inspires Paul to use the human body to demonstrate how the different parts work together for the good and harmony of the whole. Likewise, the congregation with its different gifts is to work together in peaceful harmony for the good and entire for the good of the entire congregation. In verse 12, Paul begins by using the human body as a standard of unity as to how the congregation should be. In other words, 
Paul was saying that Christ is not divided, but is in perfect unity like a human body. Verse 13 is to be understood by the context. Uh, by the context. Verses 14 through 25 are definitely referring to the human body. Verse 26 may or may not uh, be referring to the human body. In either case, it is speaking of the care that the members in the body that is in the congregation should have for each other. In verse 27, it clearly states that the congregation at Corinth is, quote, the body of Christ, end of quote. Actually, the definite article is absent before body in the Greek text, and the verse can rightly read, quote, a body of Christ, end of quote. So out of the 18 times the word body is used in the text, 16 of them clearly refers to a human body. And when Paul said that the congregation at Corinth was the body or a body of Christ, he did not include the congregation at Sincrea, which was only a short distance down the road, that there was a church at Sincrea. Look at Romans 16.1. Nor did he address his epistle to the church of Galatia, that is, when he wrote to the people in Galatia, he didn't say to the church or to the congregation of Galatia, but to the churches of Galatia. It's Galatians 1-2. So when he wrote to a group of congregations, he said so. And when there were more than one congregation at Rome, see Romans chapter 16, Paul did not address the epistle of the Romans to the church at Rome, but to all that be in Rome, called saints, Romans 1.7. I believe too much is made of the idea of the church being the body of Christ as something invisible and mystical. Clearly the teaching of the church or congregation of God in the New Testament is focused on the individual congregations, and it is there the Lord meets with his saints in worship, and it is in the congregation that the truth is sustained, 1 Timothy 3.15. Therefore, it is essential that the congregation be of one mind and of one spirit in everything. The strength and life of the congregation is in the unity of the members, and this is what Paul stressed at Corinth regarding their issues with gifts. In conclusion of our study today, those who believe 1 Corinthians 12.13 is spirit baptism maintain that it is the Holy Spirit that does the baptizing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit that John preached in Matthew 3.11 and related passages clearly state that Christ was the administrator 
Therefore, this spirit baptism that is advocated by many in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is something different. They teach that it is regeneration. They further teach that it is when, quote, believers are added to the mystical or invisible body of Christ. Scripture never designates a group of churches or a group of believers from different churches as a church or body of Christ. The scriptures do designate a single congregation as the or a body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. And scriptures plainly show that when a letter is to be addressed to a group of churches, it is plainly declared, Galatians 1, 2. Sadly, our time has run out for today. The Lord willing, we will look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13 in a more detailed way to declare what we believe it is teaching in our next study. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Baptist Perspective. We archive our episodes so you can go back anytime and listen again. Do you have a question about something you've heard or just want to let us know you're listening? Visit us at baptistperspective.wordpress.com. That's baptistperspective.wordpress.com. Thanks again for listening.